hey Colin, Jill's from Jill's from NZ. Um, in response to like which like role play books you wish you'd kept or any of that kind of stuff, I wish I'd bought any. Honestly, I didn't buy any. If, for, I don't know if you've heard me talk about this before, but my first lot of characters and my first introductions to the game was very much through the guy I was dating at the time or the person I was shoulder I was looking over who I probably ended up dating. Um, so I never owned any of the books and all of my characters were originally created for me. So while I loved the game, I wasn't able to do anything outside of when we met. And um, it meant that when I lost touch with them or we broke up or whatever it was, I lost my connection to the game that I was playing. And I really regret not committing more to it because then I wouldn't have lost touch with it. Searching for moons For an evil ogre in an ancient room Was a fortunate son of the OSR Without a ten-foot pole I wouldn't get very far The ground was murky and I caught a look As the dungeon master opened up his grim tooth book And then I fell into a spike pit Oh yeah, spike pit Oh, a bit would have spikes in it I'm Colin Green and you are listening to Spike Pit Hello folks, hope you're well. Um, got something a little bit different for you, as is my way in this episode. You heard from Jules. Jules from NZ opening the show. And yep, it's me and Jules. This episode I've got a series of call-ins. I'm waffling quite a lot, but it's super refreshing to hear some quite different stories and a different perspective from what I can gather Jules has, has come into the hobby like us all with our own story you got a little bit of insight into that at the beginning not too much more in that vein this episode but I hope to hear more stuff from Jules she's got a bit more involved on the uh, audio dungeon discord lately I enjoyed hearing her podcast about her homeland, New Zealand, but it's also good to hear these different stories and experiences of of role-playing games. I think uh, she plays in a totally different style to me, and you'll see some of that. Uh, but, But importantly to me, she's really keen on playing a D&D 5th edition 
she se- she seems keen to try loads of other stuff, but the system she seems most comfortable with is a uh, fifth edition, and I I am fascinated, but uh, uh, to learn uh, how she's how she's running her game and what she's doing. So, hopefully, you the listener, you will also find this interesting. I'm going to waffle on no more. Let's hear the first call-in from Jules on the subject of uh, challenge ratings, CRs in uh, D&D. Hey, Colin. Jules from Jules from NZ here. You're rescanning monsters and ignoring the CR. I like... I think that's, like, way harder. I build my encounters around... Um, just going cool, type into D&D Beyond the CR level that I want, see what the options are and just build things from there. Um, and it's, it's really easy to use so um, a lot of admiration I guess for you just taking monsters and doing a crap ton of work to them to make them work for your... I'm way lazier than that. Yeah, so I love the CRs, they're gold. But I'm really glad to hear that you're enjoying 5e and going to be using D&D Beyond and stuff. And I look forward to catching up with the rest of your episodes to see how it's going. Bye. So a great call in there. And I feel like there's a lot to unpack. I've done my usual trick, it would seem, of perhaps not explaining or describing my uh, methodology very well. uh, Because... um, Jules has got the impression that I, I do a lot of work. Well, <laughs> when I when I prepare adventures, there is not a lot of work. So let let me explain a little bit better. When I say I ignore CRs in uh, in my D and D, I think what I'm really saying there is I'm ignoring the method laid down in the uh, the DMG that describes how to build an encounter using CRs. I guess what I actually do is I maybe eyeball the CRs sometimes and if I see a really high number kind of maybe just disregard the monster. But it's not accurate then I guess to say I'm ignoring them. I'm, it's that, that method of construction, constructing the encounters. And Jules pointed out this encounter builder. Well on D&D Beyond, I didn't even know there was an encounter builder. So what I did, I've gone and checked it out, and it's like, it's like a beta version of this thing. And sure enough, you can, uh, just in my limited experience of it, you, you're kind of punching the number of characters you've got, their levels, and then you can sort of drag monsters from a big long list into the uh, encounter builder. And it 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 basically goes up and up and up and it is using the calculation from the DMG but you don't have to do the maths it's just there's like a a, a, a bar like a power bar a difficulty bar that increases as you click on stuff add stuff into the encounter and you know um, I think it's trivial easy moderate difficult deadly something like a scale like that so you can like Jules says, super easy. Just drop monsters in there and it kind of does all the calculations. Trouble is, 
I'm not convinced that I um, trust the maths. And it's, and it's not just trusting the maths, it's also the way I uh, build an encounter. If I'm not doing something just totally random, I might often start off with a random roll of some kind just to get me going. And then really, I, I just have a picture in my head. So uh, I'll sit down, you know, in an idle moment and just be thinking, oh, what am I going to do tonight? And there's sort of, there'll be these pictures in my mind. And the image that I see, I just convert into an encounter. So I imagine a little scene, there's maybe... Uh, a, a gang of hobgoblins or something I know about and just take it from there and, and what appears in my mind is what appears in the encounter so I can see I can picture the numbers I can sort of think well actually I think they've got some war dogs and I, I maybe don't even know if there's stats for a war dog so when I say I'll reskin something I might I might think this is a really gnarly war dog. I, I want to use maybe uh, something maybe as tough as a bear or a tiger or a lion, and I might just take them stats. And when I re when I reskin it, I I'm not doing uh, I'm not going through all the procedures in the DMG for designing, creating monsters, and applying the uh, the relevant CR. I've just got this picture of a gnarly war dog and I think to myself, yeah, I want it to be about as badass as a lion. I'll use a lion's stats, call it a hobgoblin war dog and, and we're done. So it's like that. It's super sort of um, conceptual in my mind, visual. And that's why I bristled a little bit when there was talk of RPGs just being about maths. Because for me... They're, they're totally not, and um, maybe that's why uh, why I've got a little bit of resistance, perhaps even to the idea of CRs, is because it's the implied mathematics, and I think to myself, you know, that's not so much a good fit for me, but it is a super cool tool. If if you're using D and D Beyond. The way it lists the monsters out, you click on them, it's got all their stats and everything else like that. So if you did have an idea, you could totally, I could totally go in there, build my encounter in the way I've described in my head now. Still dis disregard the CR thing, but it would be a, a, a useful, There's a, it's a good user interface, I guess, a good way to um, build the encounter because there's like a save function on there as well so I'm um, really pleased that Jules has brought this to my attention and it's uh, given me a chance to play with it a little bit again I heard a comment recently that D&D uh, &D lacks the tools for a, for a DM it, it doesn't really uh, tell them anymore uh, like maybe an older version doesn't tell them anymore how how to run a dungeon and stuff um, and i was a little bit bemused by that because delving back into the dmg again i've i've been looking at it i mentioned it recently i've been back into the dmg 
oh, I'm actually blown away by the amount of stuff it has got in there for uh, for DMs. Information on running different sort of styles of play. You can um, it tackles the the classic kind of you know building and running a dungeon, um, uh, setting up a wilderness, uh, um, settlements, creating NPCs, creating monsters. Gives you ideas for how you might even kind of like try and do that in different ways to create different flight, you know, like f different flavors or styles of play. So, mystery, intrigue, like swashbuckling, uh, all, like a sword and sorcery, all that. It, it really, I think it, it, it's a big old book and stuff gets buried in there. I think that's the trouble. I played loads and loads of sessions of D&D &D without even looking at the D DMG at one point because I sort of thought well why do I need a DM's guild I've been running a DM's guide I've been running games for years uh, I picked up the players started playing out of it and, and kind of I'd done adventures I'd made adventures I didn't I sort of didn't need need or didn't think I needed the stuff that might be in there you know I flicked through it and to be honest, I was a little bit bamboozled. I, I, for some reason, I always get bamboozled by DMGs uh, 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 for all different games. Uh, you know, they're big old weighty times. By their very nature, they tend to be packed full of stuff. It's only later, when I've played a game for a while, do I sort of return to them and, and tentatively start to comb through because I feel like I'm ready for a little bit more at that point. So yeah, I, I think the D&D um, &D 5th edition DMG is uh, a, good, a good book with some good inspiration and definitely got some real handy tools in there. You know, and, and way more random tables than you might think. It, I was even pretty surprised to see the sort of almost old style treasure tables in there. Um, I hadn't hadn't really expected to find them, I, and once again, I knew those in there, but I hadn't I hadn't really clicked how similar they are to some of the the uh, the earlier versions of the game. Hey, Colin, it's Jules from Jules from NZ, listening to Two Fifty Seven, and you're talking about online gaming for the first time. Well, I only pretty much online game. I don't have a single in-person game, so I can tell you a lot about how it works. And firstly, you have a start and a finish time. Everybody knows that, like everybody gets on the call at seven thirty, but the game starts at eight, um, and that the game will end at ten. That kind of clues everybody in as to when game time is. Also, how many sessions is really important. Like, are you playing for one session, so you need to be like in and out and done in this session, or are you playing for like six, or is it like infinite because it's a campaign? All of these things um, depend on how people play, because if they can take their time and muck around a little bit more, then that's fine, like if it's a campaign, but if you're telling them that you need to get this thing done in like two sessions, everybody kind of clues on and like checks in and, and yeah, it's really important. Me again, pulling a Jackson. Anyway, um, the other thing that's really do 
to like important to do is like individual initial check-ins. So I find it's really important every time I sit down in a session to talk about like if it's a repeat kind of campaign sort of selling, I'm like, how is everybody doing? Where are they right now? What's their emotion right now? What's their character thinking? What's their like goals right now? It kind of clicks everybody back in, um, which is really important, which you don't necessarily have to do at a table necessarily, but like is probably something I'll transfer to table if I ever get the chance to again. Um, being really conscious of not spending too long at one person or one place, like it requires more of you as a DM because you have to constantly check, am I spending too long here? Does that person look like they need like more attention or whatever? Breaks are really important. Um, oh God, I'm going to do a third message. Jules going for a third. Anyway, so breaks are really important. Um, you know, like, I know it doesn't seem like two-hour sessions would be really long, but two hours is a long time for you to be checked and required to, like, stare at a thing for a really long time. So we have, like, hour breaks just to get up, go to the toilet, get a drink, whatever. It's not, like, a long break. It's just, like, cool, everybody meet back here in, like, three minutes. Go, break, run. Um, but it just kind of gets you out of your seat and, like, then you click back in again um, way easier because everybody's been thinking and like they will want to they will want to play when they get back um and i agree with you like finding ways to surprise like and reveal things to your players is still really important so images or um having things to place in a chat that's separate from the online um just so they can be like whoa um is all really important so good luck with your online gaming i'm sure you've been nailing it by now because i'm catching up but it's fun yay so another contrast there Jules really heavily into the online play. Myself, much more of a tabletop player. Admittedly, I've been online gaming for a little while now, but certainly very new to running games online. And I agree very much with some of the great advice that Jules has very succinctly got over there. Freeze the magic number. That was free call-ins. No problem with that at all. Um, the one thing I would say, myself personally, it's super important to talk about the length of of what you're trying to do. So there's the, the session length. And, and for me, increasingly, I'm finding through play that I really like a two-hour session. I do the one-hour break as well. I find that perfect. My setup, I, it's my own fault, but my, my setup seems to be less than optimal. I keep tinkering with it. I just can't seem to get comfortable. And by an hour in, uh, it is nice to get up, stretch my legs, move about, exactly like Jules is saying. And then after two hours... I am starting to flag at that point because I, I like to stay focused and I like to put as much as I can into a session. And um, after two hours, I don't know if it if if it's just a bit of an age thing. Uh, my eyes seem to get a little bit sore staring at the screen. Uh, I, I feel a, start to feel a little bit jaded, and uh, that I'm that I'm past my best perhaps so yep that's awesome two hours um the only the only thing i'll say that i would pick up is the indefinite comment about campaigns 
I've definitely done the indefinite length of campaign. I think it's easy if you're a GM who's got a regular group just to kind of fall into that sort of play style. But increasingly, I'm thinking I don't want to. I don't really want to do that. I want to give people that out. I know um, uh, Dave Aldridge. We've talked about this. I've talked with him about it. He, he really likes the idea of when we've talked about this, this idea that you set up with some people, you say we're going to do 10 sessions, and then if it goes further, uh, you, you know, you're free to say, right, that's that. That's season one, we're going into season two, and it just gives you a nice break point to, to perhaps have a chat about things, um, for people to step out without loss of face, for you to knock it in the head, take the game in a different direction, whatever. But you've just got those way markers in, in, and, you know, call them a season, call them a story arc, whatever you want to do. Um, although, you know, technically the campaign may well be virtually um, indefinite in length, I think it's still worthwhile trying to put put some sort of like definite way markers in there so solid advice from Jules and um, yeah so the last point she made was talking about the surprises and putting stuff in front of your players so I'm playing tonight I'm back on Google Duo it's super simple audio and visual nothing complicated but this time I'm going to dial in another uh, like a login on my daughter's phone and she's sat in a room with me and Sonny the three of us are in one room and if you've heard me talk about it before uh, our other player a remote player DM Ricky he's he's sat in his lounge on the other side of Luton and I'm going to use this phone as like an eye in the sky uh, DM cam whatever you want to call it and I'm going to use it to sort of, if there's something I want him to be able to see or I want to bring up on the kind of like the screen, uh, I'm just going to use this camera to capture dice rolls or to capture some miniatures on the grid because we're doing some gladiatorial combat. So dice rolls, miniatures, a look at maps, a look at anything I want to look at. I'm going to be able to have this additional camera so he can see us sat there as players, plus then he can see what we can see on the tabletop. So like tabletop cam. So that's what I'm going to try. That is how I'm going to bring that stuff in. Pretty low tech, pretty easy. I don't have to worry about screen sharing or any of that business. And I'm going to give that a whirl, see how it goes. Um, there's a lot of people... Younger than me, much more tech savvy with all sorts of really cool ideas. I imagine uh, Jules has got a whole bevy of ideas, and um, you know I'll be keen going forwards, uh, going forwards to hear what other people are doing uh, for for getting around this um, online gaming issue. You know, if you if you've come from tabletop games into online gaming, or you've always done online gaming let's let's share a few tips we did an episode talking about it on the purple worm pete jones and john and dave offering their suggestions up a lot 
a lot more to say about it than me, so I urge you to check that episode out. And then I've I've noticed um, other podcasts talking about it because, you know, it's a thing at the moment and um, I don't think any of this this virus situation is going to go away in a hurry. And um, and increasingly, I think a lot of people just enjoy their online gaming, so it makes sense to kind of brush up on your skills, try out a few... Um, Try out a few cool ideas. Now, before I leave you with a final call in from Jules, I just want to say a few thank yous. Obviously, big thanks to Jules for uh, her awesome call ins. Jules from NZ is her podcast. If you haven't listened, I urge you to go and have a listen. You can also catch up with Jules on the Audio Dungeon Discord. I'm often hanging out there and a lot of other RPG podcasters and people involved in gaming and and playing RPGs, running RPGs. We are regularly hanging out on there, the Audio Dungeon Discord. Also want to give a big shout out and thanks to the Pit Crew. They're my patrons over on the Spike Pit Patreon. They're keeping me going and growing with their um, ongoing support and generous contributions finally wouldn't be much of a show without any listeners so a big thanks to you the listener for taking time out of your day to listen to old spy pit take care and i'll catch you later take it away jules Hey, it's me, Jules, again. Um, I'm sending you a lot of messages, but I just wanted to check in with, like, I found it really, really, really hard to podcast during this isolation lockdown thing. I found it really hard, and I felt really bad about it because I knew people were waiting to hear something from me and, like, what's happening with Jules as well, but I just didn't want to talk about my world. I wanted to hide, um, and that's kind of okay. Like, that's a, that's a response, and it's not a wrong response. It's just a response. So I'm glad you managed to find a way to fight through it, but also don't feel like you have to. Your choice. Um, and the other thing I wanted to check in on is um, I love the variation in your episodes. I love that I could be listening to, like, five of them, and each one of them is going to be this different feel and vibe and conversation. And I really just think that is a strength of your podcast so i hope it continues okay i swear i'm i'm done bye i fell into a spike pit oh yeah spike pit oh it would have spikes in it